Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, giving leaders the tools and information they need to grow and change their worlds. Now here's your host, Dale Dixon. Negotiation, facilitating agreements between two or more parties. Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. Each and every week, we dive deeper into one of the core competencies of The Complete Leader. It's a book by Ron Price and Randy Lisk. If you haven't had a chance to read it, definitely encourage you to pick it up. If you are reading it, these podcasts help you dive deeper into each of those competencies inside The Complete Leader. I'm your host, Dale Dixon, and each and every week we have this conversation with Ron Price, an internationally recognized business advisor, executive coach, speaker, and author. Known for his creative and systematic thinking, business versatility, and practical optimism, Ron has worked in 15 countries and served in almost every level of executive management in the past 35 years. As the former CEO of a multi-million dollar international company, Ron understands the challenges and risks of running a business and building a dynamic team. Ron, as always, great to be with you. It's good to be with you again, Dale. So let's, we're talking today about negotiation. And I know there are probably a few camps and uh, as many listeners, there are as many different definitions of negotiation. Some people think it's about bullying your way into a deal, being sure that you get everything possible and more coming your way at the expense of the other party. But uh, for purposes of our conversation today, I'm going to have you define this concept of negotiation. Well, I I think you're right, Dale. I think negotiation means different things to different people. And in the context of leadership skills, I think the question that we always want to ask ourselves is, uh, what's the nature of the relationship of the person or people that I'm negotiating with? I I suppose if it's a one-time negotiation where you're just purchasing something or you're selling something, that the idea of back and forth in what we often refer to as dickering over price or over some other feature set may be okay. I I recall I've had the privilege of working in Asia uh, for over 26 years now. And in the early days, I love to visit what they call their night markets. It's people who are selling things out on the street at night. And um, somebody who was teaching me how to buy in those night markets told me, Ron, whatever they tell you at cost, you should offer them no more than one quarter of it, maybe even one tenth of what they're telling you. Oh my gosh, that was hard for me to imagine. It seemed to me like that would be insulting to them. But my friend told me, no, 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 this is the way we negotiate in Asia. This in in particular, I was in Taiwan at the time. This is how we negotiate. We want to have this dance of dickering back and forth and back and forth. And I said, okay, so where do I end? And they said, well, don't ever pay more than half of what they're asking for. And I remember years later, I was uh, going to one of these markets in Beijing. And I like to collect flutes from around the world. So these, these Chinese or... Asian flutes, they create an interesting sound. And I'm not that much of a player, but I like to play around with them with my grandkids. And I was working, there was this beautiful wooden flute that I wanted to buy. And I realized I could easily afford what the person was asking for it, but they would be unsatisfied with the transaction if I didn't engage in this dickering process with them, because to them, that was part of the culture, part of the experience. So so in this instance, negotiating 
it's a one-off. I probably will never see that person again. And even at that, this is the way they wanted our relationship to unfold. So it's appropriate to, it's sort of like sparring. It's like a wrestling match, arm wrestling for what the price is going to be. However, as leaders, this is rarely the kind of relationship that we want to have with people. As leaders, usually we want to end up with a negotiation where both sides feel that they've won. Both sides feel that it's fair. Both sides feel that it's the basis for ongoing relationship, not the last deal we're ever going to make because of the way we treated each other along the way. So in the complete leader, when we talk about negotiating, we're talking about negotiating in a way that builds on, that maintains, that enriches the relationship. And that means that we have to approach it a little different way. I love the idea that this is a win-win. A lot lot of us walk into this idea, think about negotiation. There's going to be a winner. There's going to be a loser. And I I have to walk away as the winner. And that is not the case, not what we're talking about in this this edition of the podcast. So negotiation is about win-win for the complete leader. Yeah, I I don't hesitate to recognize other authors who've had a big impact on me. And um, Stephen Covey, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that book is, is one of the most important books I've read, and I've read it over and over and over again. And it's not that what Stephen Covey presented in that book was all that unique. It's that he packaged it in a unique way. He packaged it in a way that was easy for it to get anchored in my thinking, and it informs my thinking, it informs my actions, my behaviors, my relationships. And he has a whole habit around this idea of how you get started with uh, better negotiating as a leader. He calls it, it's habit number four, he calls it think win-win or no deal. And if I can just back up for a moment, his first three habits he refers to as private victories. So it's how you manage yourself. And then the next three habits he calls public victories. It's how we interact with other people. And then habit seven has to do with personal renewal. But this habit number four, think win-win or no deal. The first thing he brings out, which really impacted me, is that you can't end up in a win-win relationship with everybody. Sometimes the noble thing to do is to say, you know what, we're just not a good fit. We probably shouldn't do this because one of us is going to end up unhappy. And we don't want that. We'd rather maintain the, the strength of our relationship and get this whatever we need or want some other way than to take advantage of of one another in order to get it. So he starts with that, but then he goes on and identifies that we have all these different ways that we approach negotiating. The one that is probably assumed by most people who think about negotiating as getting the upper hand, he refers to as win-lose. So that means I'm going to win, and in order for me to win, you have to lose. Now, I guess if you're playing a football game, this is the approach. I mean, you want to win the game, you want your opponent to lose. That's Those are the rules of the game, and that's the appropriate way. But in leadership, especially when you're dealing with people that are on your team or an important part of you uh, being successful long-term, we would refer to this mindset of win-lose as being the bully, the person who thinks that they can arm wrestle you or that they can leverage you and put you in a corner and you have no choice but to surrender because you need them. The second one that he talks about is just the opposite. He refers to it as the lose-win mindset. And I think of this as the martyr. It's where I'm willing to give everything up so that you can win. 
And sometimes people do this because they want to be liked. Sometimes people do this because they don't feel that they have peer-to-peer respect or they think that the other person is much more powerful than them. But the reality is that sooner or later, a lose-win mindset will ruin that relationship because at some point, you've lost everything you have. Now there's no reason for the other person to want to interact with you anymore because they've taken everything and you've got nothing left. The third mindset or the third approach that he talks about is uh, lose-lose. So that's I lose and you lose. And I call this the Avenger mindset. It's where, because I get so upset, he's so emotionally um, probably offended that I'm willing to lose if it can help me make you lose. So this is where two people get so much at odds with each other and their emotion gets so far in front of their logic that they will hurt themselves in order to hurt the other person or in order to cause the other person to lose. And this is that old phrase, you cut your nose to spite your face. It's, it's, it's uh, one of the stories that Stephen Covey tells is about the couple that gets divorced and it's a very hostile, a very antagonistic divorce. And so the judge tells the wife that she needs to go sell the husband's Jaguar and they're going to split the proceeds half and half. And she calls up finally to her ex-husband and says, come on over to get your half of the proceeds. I sold the car. And so he comes over and she gives him $50. And he said, wait a minute, we're supposed to share it half and half. And she has a smug smile and says, yeah, there's your half. (laughs) Well, it's a great example of lose-lose. Sometimes we get so blind with rage or unhappiness that we hurt ourselves just so we can hurt others. And then, of course, we've already talked about what I think is the complete leader's approach, which is win-win. We're looking for how we can both come out of this. And if we can't get there, it's okay for us to go ahead and say, you know what? For this particular instance, let's say it's no deal. And that's a good fit, and that's noble, and that's dignity in our relationship, that if we can't find a way that it's mutually beneficial, it's better for us to say we just won't work on this. And I think that can be just as successful of a negotiation as one where you get a full, a a true win-win that comes out of it. So let's dive in and talk about developing the skill for complete leaders as a negotiator. Yeah, well, there are a lot of great models out there for negotiating. And what I love about a model is that it helps us to understand and develop our skills as negotiators. These are these are sort of a roadmap where you do this and then this and this. And if you do all this, you're going to get better and better at negotiation. And the reason there are several components to effective negotiation is because often negotiation is pretty complex. There are a lot of things to take into consideration and you're putting a puzzle together and in the best of negotiations, you're creating something completely new because of your ability to work with each other. So one of the models that we've used quite a bit and with great success is called the Harvard Negotiation Project. It's where at Harvard Business School, they developed this model for negotiating, which is made up of four different steps or components. The first step is it's important to separate people from the problem. What I mean by that, Dale, is that if you have interpersonal conflict, if you have bad residue from something that happened in the past or somebody feels that they were offended or mistreated, they weren't respected properly, you got to get that out of the way if you're going to have a successful negotiation. So if you have to say you're sorry, if you have to fix some old offenses, 
if you want to be successful in negotiating, don't wait and try to deal with those things later. Start there. Start with um, resolving interpersonal conflict before you jump into the problem or the opportunity that you want to negotiate. Number two is when you start to identify the negotiation, talk about the issues, talk about what your needs are, but don't take positions. And what I mean by that, a position is, look at this is the only thing I'll accept and I there's nothing else that I'm willing to consider. That's take, it's, we also call it digging your heels in. When you state positions, you say to the other person, I don't care about what you need to get out of this. I only care what I need to get. And the other thing you're saying is I'm not open to other possibilities that might actually be better than the one I'm thinking of right now. So resist taking positions and instead focus on the interests. What is it that I need? What is it that, what are the outcomes that I'm looking for? Not arbitrary um, positions or ultimatums that you're giving. Number three, believe in that there may be new ways of looking at it that you haven't thought of so far. By working on it together and looking at your interests and their interests, that you may come up with third alternatives. You may come up with new solutions that you hadn't thought of before. So it's the idea of inventing options for mutual gain. And when you really quit taking positions and you aren't personally offended at the person, you can open up to this avenue of creativity and there's no telling what you might come up with. And I think of what a, a true win-win situation, what we call a true third alternative, you walk out of that negotiation with something that was better than you thought of walking in because you worked on it together. So number three is believe in and seek options for mutual gain. Now, and then number, I want to dive in just deep there because sometimes you get into a conversation and a negotiation and it's hard to see other options. Uh, but I was in a room with you working with a group recently and you had folks line up and work through changing their position in a line. And it was fascinating to watch how people stepped away to change their perspective to work on solving a difficult problem problem. So what are some ways to step away, get outside the proverbial box to see other alternatives when otherwise we could be blinded by, you know, blinded by the trees. We don't see the forest. Yeah. I think the first is to take the time to be clear about what your interests are, not your positions. So the first is to take time to say, what would I like to get out of this negotiation? And we're not talking about specific details at this point as much as we're talking about outcomes. And you think about it at several levels. So it's not just what I'm, what do I want to get economically out of this, but what do I want to get in terms of this relationship going forward? How do I want to use this as a building block for more and more effective negotiation? with this individual or this organization in the future. So the first is be clear about your interests and make sure that you're separating your interests from your positions. Interests mean I'm open-minded to how we get there, but this is where I want to get, whereas positions is this is the only way we can get there and you accept my method or nothing. The second thing is now reverse that and do that toward the other person once you understand what your interests are, you can set them aside and say, now it's important for me to understand what your interests are. It's important for me to understand what will make this a productive negotiation for you and not a position that you're taking, but what outcomes 
And again, I don't just want to know what you're looking for economically out of this, but I want to know what you're looking for in terms of deliverables. I want to understand what you're looking for in terms of relationship. I want to understand how this is going to help you to achieve your bigger strategy or your bigger goals in life. One of the things I love when vendors come to me and they want me to buy something from them is when they take the time to understand why I might be interested in them. They take the time to understand the bigger thing that I'm trying to accomplish. And when we can get to that level where we really care about each other's interests, it really makes a boundary come down and it opens up the possibility that we might find creative ways to do things that are completely new and very very synergistic, really powerful compared to what we were looking at going in. I experience this a lot, both with our vendors, our suppliers, and I experience it a lot with our clients. And the key is you got to know what your interests are, and then you have to take the time to deeply understand the other person's interests and why those are their interests. Now, when you have those two things, you can begin to do creative thinking. And one of the things in this particular exercise that you were involved in is we encourage people, yeah, think about what's going on. I often say, look for patterns, look for what's not working, and then out of that, you may discover what will work and what you pointed out, which I thought was excellent, Dale, is that in this exercise we were doing, which was experiential learning, we gave you guys a problem to solve. And then the way that you eventually solve the problem is you had to step back and look at the bigger picture. That's really looking at interests and looking at the final outcomes and not getting caught up in the step-by-step tactics of it. It's what opened up the creativity so that your team eventually solved that problem. So that's the third thing, believe in and seek these third alternatives. The fourth thing, this is oftentimes a little bit more difficult to do, but the fourth step in the Harvard Negotiation Project is before you make any commitments in your negotiation, establish objective criteria for adopting or landing on a new agreement. So what do we mean by objective criteria? Something that's measurable, something that's black and white, something that there will not be a lot of room for interpretation, but you'll both be viewing it in the same way. And if you can establish objective criteria for what ends up being win-win, that helps you to now process all these ideas and options you've come to. And oftentimes you're combining several options and you'll try a few things and you'll see, well, it gets us part way there, but it doesn't get us all the way across the finish line. And this is a creative process of innovation. Innovation being that we're combining ideas to create new value. When you can follow all four of those steps, you separate people from the problem, then you identify issues and don't take positions. In other words, avoid stubbornness. You believe in and seek a lot of ideas, a lot of options and and new ways of looking at whatever it is you're negotiating. And then you establish objective criteria for evaluating the possibilities. You've got a great chance that you're going to get on the other side, other side of negotiation in a way that everybody's happy and everybody leaves feeling like they got something even better than what they were envisioning when they started the process. And I will pull the Eeyore moment and what if it doesn't work? <laughs> well, the truth is there are times when it doesn't work. There are times when you don't have a willing partner, a willing party on the other side that wants to follow this process. There are times when when either because of their character or because of something else that's that's going on in their circumstances, they just don't want to 
they don't really want to negotiate. They just want to get to the end. And obviously, this is where you start to consider compromise. And compromise is different than a negotiation. Compromise is where I get something, you get something, but neither of us gets everything that we wanted. Or we didn't really find something better. We just had to compromise. Well, sometimes you can find a compromise that's not distasteful, that's not onerous. It's still not as good as if you'd been able to creatively negotiate, but it's better than nothing. So you look at what are the contexts in which I'm willing to compromise. And um, I like to say here you work on developing what we refer to as the best alternative to a negotiated agreement. So if we can't negotiate using these four steps, what's the best that I think we could get? And here you still want to become, you want to be careful that you're not too stubborn. So on the one hand, you don't want to say, well, this is my bottom price. And if you won't sell it to me for that, then we have no deal because that's rigid. Or this is the most I'm willing to pay. This is, um, this kind of an approach is still rigid. So it may be part of the best alternative to a negotiated agreement. But you always want to say, what other factors are there that I should consider that make me be a little bit more flexible in what the bottom line or the top line might be. Um, at the same time, you have to have some type of a tripwire that keeps you from making a bad deal where you've just been bullied or you've been manipulated by the other person. So sometimes it's somebody else who's helping you with the uh, negotiation that before you go into it, you've talked about, don't let me go beyond this point. Don't get me, let me go beyond this line. And so it's having an idea of what your boundaries and limits are, but understanding why those are your boundaries and limits and being careful not to become stubborn about those, but to use them to guide and protect you from entering into a bad deal. And in those situations where compromise is not on the table or if you can't even get to compromise I think it's great to learn how to say no deal I think it's great to learn how to say you know what I really respect you I wish you all the success in the world but it just doesn't seem to me like this is going to be a good decision for at least us to make for me to make and so I'm going to with dignity and with respect I'm going to say we're not going to do anything. We're just not going to go forward. And you go look for another alternative outside of that particular negotiation. Mm. All right. Any final thoughts for us? Yeah. You know, like all the skills that we're talking about in the complete leader, this is something that you learn and you don't learn it in a classroom. You learn it by practicing. You learn it by doing something. And, and, and I've discovered working with my clients that I provide executive coaching service for, that if we can find a way that you can create a practice field, so to speak, so a place that you can practice outside of work, developing your negotiation skills, then it will make you more and more effective when you get back in work. I would normally say a great place to develop your negotiation skills is with your teenage children. <laughs> However, <laughs> the thing that, that hurts us, the thing that hampers our negotiation, uh, negotiating skills the most is when we get too emotional, when our emotions are triggered. Sometimes when it comes to those that you're closest to, the emotions are in the front. So negotiating is hardest there. That's where you take your final exam for negotiating, not where you start. So instead, I would suggest think about people that are not 
close to you or personal and figure out a way that you can develop your negotiating skills with them. And uh, it, it, it may be that you decide something outside of work that you want to work on. I had one client, we were talking about this, and he said, well, you know, I want all my kids to take squash lessons. And um, because it's going to be several of them taking lessons, I think maybe I should negotiate a package deal with my squash instructor for them. So we went through the principles, the four that we talked about, and he went and he used those to talk with his squash instructor and find out what his instructor was looking for and why he wanted to charge the same amount for all of them. And they looked for other alternatives. They they looked for ways to create more value in the relationship long-term. And he came back to me and said, hey, I got a deal I never would have thought of because we took the time to understand each other. What I loved about that example was that it was not with, it was not an emotional negotiation. It was someplace where his emotions could be more neutral and that's where you're going to develop your skills the fastest. So create your own practice field and get practicing and you'll become a masterful negotiator. Ron Price, co-author of The Complete Leader. Thank you so much. This is The Complete Leader podcast, and we encourage you to go online to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast. While you're there, rate and review the podcast. Hopefully, we've earned those five stars from you. Check out the website, thecompleteleader.org, for many resources around the competencies that we're talking about during in this podcast, videos, blog posts, meet the faculty behind The Complete Leader. This is The Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to become a high-performing leader. Thanks for listening to The Complete Leader Podcast. Find more online, thecompleteleader.org.